Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Vladimir Zelensky in a press conference today, and he's doing uh, the rounds talking to reporters. Can you hold out against Russian forces? I don't know. Will you stay in Kiev? Yes. No hesitation there. Wow. Um, and it's looking like it's going to be a really bad day in Ukraine, as uh, everybody was expecting. As everybody was expecting, but it's it's shaping up to be a really bad day. Um, they're they're digging lots of people out of a couple of different towns that you've never heard of, as Russia's just bombing randomly until people give, like they did in Syria after they killed tens of thousands. You know, this is a conversation I wish. Uh... I wish we took calls, and the callers were George Washington, you know, maybe Thomas Paine, Ben Franklin, and others. Uh, several folks on the right wing of American politics, who we generally agree with quite a bit, are very much in the school of this is not our fight, it's not our problem, why are we involved? I would point out that by a vote of 141 to like four, the U.N. Uh, went the other way. But one of the points is, why are we arming the Ukrainians and giving them hope that they can fight the Russians. Uh, it's just going to be a bloodbath. They should just give up and not have their people die. Give up and let Russia take their country. Wow. And the idea that some people, and these are smart people, are suggesting let your home be overrun by a foreign invader. Don't fight to the death. When you realize you're going to lose, don't exact as high a punishment as you can while you're still breathing. Let them do it. That's an interesting difference in different sorts of human beings. Yeah. I'd say. You know, show of hands, y'all. When China comes, uh, you know, up the beaches of the Pacific, are you going to say, hey, let's not waste our time fighting? Or are you going to be there in your home with a barrel sticking out of your window until they get you? Yeah, I know. That's what I thought. I know my kids asked me. He said, Dad, would, would you stay or go if we we're in that situation? I'd say, absolutely stay. Not, not, it's not even a question. What else are you going to do? Leave and uh, uh, be embarrassed about yourself for the rest of your life? For one thing. Um, Zelensky could have left. It would have been so easy for him and his family to leave. Nobody would have blamed him, really. Nope. And our president told him he should. Yep. Have you seen the picture of him and his wife and kids? Looks like any husband, wife, and kids. Yeah, I know. I know. Beautiful family. It's really quite amazing. A foreign invader invader is coming to take their home, and they're not going to let him without a fight. God bless him. So we covered this story a couple of weeks ago. Constitutional law expert and uh, uh, professor at Georgetown University, Ilya Shapiro. Ah, yes. Yeah. Was suspended for some things he said about President Biden's Supreme Court nominee. And uh, many people who are friends of Mr. Shapiro have well, said... Let me, let me jump in just quickly. He was commenting on the process and focusing on a black woman. This was before we knew who the nominee was. Uh, correct. Okay. Um. Uh, even friends of Ilya Shapiro, and and he has said himself that he could have worded these better, but none of them cross the line into the tweets, cross the line into you should lose your job, I wouldn't think. Not even close. Um, 
It was just the idea is, is, you know, if you've been following the conversation of, well, if you announce ahead of time that you're going to pick a black woman, that at least makes it look like you're not going for the best person. And it's going to make you look like you picked somebody lesser just by definition. And, oh, by the way, polls of the American people showed that two-thirds of Americans thought Joe Biden should have picked who was ever best, regardless of gender and race. Right. Regardless, you're not supposed to say that sort of thing. And he was... Now, how did this turn out? Ukraine started, and I don't remember. Has he has he actually been fired, or is he still so-called suspended? Anyway... He was going to speak yesterday at a place I had never heard of called Hastings Law in uh, the Bay Area. It's a UC Law School. And uh, as he uh, sat down to speak, this is how the students reacted. Unwilling to hear another opinion. So shout it down. That's the uh, coin of the realm at universities and has been for quite some time. Yeah. That's something. If he worked for, to pick a name out of the hat, the Glidden Paint Corporation. It'd be a damned shame that for being somewhat less than diplomatic, he got canned or is suspended at this point and not allowed to speak by those young, uh, far-left radicals and those silencers of free speech. But he works for an institution that, right in its charter, goes on in language lofty and extended about how they're founded for the free inquiry into all ideas. It's a, the irony is bitter. And... Once again, it's not a fringe idea he was expressing, as two-thirds of Americans said Joe Biden should pick whoever's best qualified. Without preconditions. And I jump in there and say, you you almost did what Ilya Shapiro did, which was suggest that the choice, if it were limited to black women, would necessarily be inferior, would be less than the best. It might be. How is it going to be perceived by most people? Well, exactly. You are not following the obvious way you reach the best conclusion. Um, but, you, you know, you get, get canceled for the slightest imperfection of your speech. And remember, the young savages, they don't give a crap about truth or justice. They give a crap about can they stab you in the belly and get you fired? Can they cancel you? There, is, there is no defense because they're not willing to hear your defense. They'll go like nut jobs, <laughs> like nut jobs, you say. So there you go. Um, I'm watching. More. Yeah, like uh, I tell you why I chose the word nut jobs because I like this gig. It's a good one, and I'd like to keep it. And when you're talking about these these unbelievably vicious, you know, straight out of Chairman Mao's uh, playbook, young people, 
you make the slightest misstep, you're doomed. So, yeah, I'm, I'm being careful. Is the more audio good? Is it worth hearing? Okay, here we go. Angry children. Angry children. This is one of the great constitutional scholars of our time they're shouting down, by the way. But there's no chance they could possibly learn anything from them because he made an imprecise tweet. Angry children. I like that. Hey, Hanson, you're going to have to jump on this. So George Stephanopoulos, apparently on uh, Good Morning America, talked to Lavrov, the spokeshole for Russia. His foreign minister. He's making the rounds? Yeah. And... Stephanopoulos asked him, do you believe President Zelensky's a Nazi? I don't know what the answer is. I haven't heard it myself, but we'll bring that to you when we come back. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I think it's highly unlikely he's going to reach for that nuclear weapon. And the reason is a military one. He can achieve all the effects that he would need from a nuclear weapon using conventional forces at this point. That's a former NATO commander. I found that kind of chilling. Now, he's not going to use a a nuke. Here's why. He doesn't need to. He's going to be able to overwhelm this country, pummel it, kill enough people that they submit without one. So he doesn't need one. Well, it's kind of good news, I guess. Not yeah, really. Although, although I'm sorry, nobody's suggesting that he was going to use a nuke to conquer Ukraine. Everybody's been suggesting he's going to use one to take vengeance for uh, the rest of the world declaring war on him. Uh, in in all the ways we are, our financial sanctions, you know, uh, on and on. Okay, that's so. That guy was answering a question that I don't think has been asked. All right, um, mentioned this a little bit ago, so. For some reason, Macron talked to Putin for like an hour and a half today. I wouldn't talk to a guy who had embarrassed me uh, on the world stage multiple times. Remember at the very beginning of this, when Macron got off the phone and said, Good news, everybody. He promised me he's not going to invade. Hurrah! Yep. And, everybody, and immediately, the Kremlin said, oh, We made no such promises. And, uh, and, and even if he did, what the hell difference does it make? He's a liar. He's a liar. He Made him look like a real Macron. This might come as a shock to you, but the sort of person that's willing to bomb children's hospitals is willing to lie to you. Wow. So anyway, Macron still talks to him on the phone, and today Putin was on the phone with him and informed Macron that he is merely battling a neo-Nazi regime, and he's not targeting the people in Ukraine. I'd like to know how Macron responded to that. I, I don't know. Would you would you do anything other than just hang up? Because you're not going to embarrass the guy. You're not going to hurt his feelings. You're not going to get him to admit what's real. I don't even know what you'd say at that point. What would you say? I would say, uh, Mr. President, nobody, literally no one on earth believes you. Why are you wasting my time saying ridiculous things like that? Because I'm going to win and you're going to lose. Click. Eh. Um, so Lavrov, the spokeshole for Putin, who was on, oddly enough, Good Morning America with George Stephanopoulos today. George Stephanopoulos asked him the question, so do you believe President Zelensky is a Nazi? 
Do we know what clip that and is? And presumably he answered with words. We're looking into it. We're digging. Oh, it's not finished yet. Okay. Mm. Well, then I... Uh, His answer will shock you. Probably shouldn't have set it up. <laughs> Mistake on my end. Yeah, there are many Oh, we got it now. Here, here we go. Oh, here hey. we go. Okay. Please visit our website, the website of our ministry, and you will be able to get a detailed description of what the Kiev neo-Nazi re- regime is now doing. You like the word killer? You know, real killers are siding with the Kiev regime. Operation. Do you believe that President Zelensky, the first Jewish president of Ukraine, whose families were killed in the Holocaust, is a Nazi? I think that the Nazis and neo-Nazis manipulate him, otherwise it is hard to account for how President Zelensky can preside in a society, of a society where neo-Nazis must rife. Okay, so they're going to stick with that. Do, do you think they believe it? No, no, okay. absolutely not. No, okay. That's for domestic consumption. They're okay. just trying to hang on to a shred of public support. Well, and as, and as we've seen, as they interview Russian soldiers, again, that's the number one TV show in Ukraine, is uh, every night humiliating Russian soldiers who find out what they're actually there to do. The Russian soldiers think that they're coming in to liberate Ukrainians from a Nazi regime. They get to Ukraine and find out that's not the case. So, yeah, the soldiers believed it. Uh, President Macron has just come out apparently after his long phone call and said the worst is yet to come. So he apparently now fully understands what he's dealing with. Wow. I don't know why he's taking the phone calls at this point. He's hoping against hope that he can save some lives, maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure he's the guy I'd pick to be the one guy on the phone with him. I wouldn't pick bad ahead of Kefcare either. So how, how do you see this playing out over the next couple of weeks? If everybody's right that this is... Um, it's going to get much worse, much more violent. It's going to get closer to Syria than uh, than we'd like. Um, how do you see it playing out? Um, in terms of uh, America's following of it, do you think we're eventually going to say oh, it's too bad to look at, turn away, move on to other things, and it's just something awful that's continuing to happen? Well, that that difficult to defend but easy to understand uh, fatigue will set in. There will be other stories to talk about. Hearing the same horror from the same place, you know, month after month, people just they lose interest. And a lot of the uh, excitement last week—that's probably not the right word. Well, we know um, what you mean. Uh, um, was that hey, the good guys are winning. The good guys are kicking the bad guys' ass. Yeah, David is just put a stone between Goliath's eyes. You know, when you're rooting for your team, who's the underdog, and then all of a sudden the the favorite scores three touchdowns in a row, you kind of turn off the TV and oh, that's what I thought would happen. Yeah, it's probably going to happen here. You know, I'm I'm every bit as interested in how long the international will to punish Putin for this horror will continue. You know, as soon as there's a dollar to be made, you remember some of the uh, guys who were doing business with uh, Iran. I mean, like, as soon as the sanctions were in place, you had various oil companies and rich sons of rich guys doing, you know, secret business and getting around the sanctions and all sorts of euros. France was making lots of money. Now, I heard one learned pundit I was listening to the other day say uh, the uh, Nord Stream pipeline in Germany, that's irreversible. So that's never coming back. And I don't know anything about that. I hadn't looked into it. I don't know in what sense that is, like, completely done. 
I don't know either. I know the Swedish company that, that built the thing just declared bankruptcy and fired all their people. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe that's why it's done. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. If somebody revives it and there are billions of dollars to be made, I have a feeling it'll come back from the dead. But honestly, I don't know. That's, that's above my pay grade, they say. All the smartest uh, people that spouting I... Spouting cliches that are below my pay grade. All the smartest people that I like to read and listen to think that there has been a major change that is going to last in the international community. I hope they're right. I hope cynical Joe Getty... Cynical, cynical Joe Getty is wrong. Cynical and bitter is wrong. Yeah. Can I read you the opening of something Matt Taibbi wrote, and then we'll uh, we'll share the rest of it or or a little more of it later on? Um, He states that the president of the Council of Foreign Relations, Richard Haas, has made an extraordinary statement uh, saying we need to change the regime in, in Moscow. Okay, fair enough. For anyone expecting me to be outraged by this, uh, I have to disappoint. If Vladimir Putin were captured tomorrow and fired into space, I wouldn't bat an eye. But I'd like to point out we already tried regime change in Russia. I remember because I was there, and it ended with Vladimir Putin in power. We put Putin in power, interestingly enough. That doesn't have much to do with what's going on right now. I'm not saying, therefore, we should X, Y, Z, because I'm not an idiot. Uh, it does, though, point out that often when we decide to mastermind some big change for another country, it goes sideways. Not only often, but usually. Oh, hey, Mubarak leaving Egypt, replaced by a military dictator. So it happens all the time. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So the Klitschko brothers have put out a little video, did a little interview. Do you know them? They were heavyweight fighters. One of them was a champion of the world at one point. Correct, yeah. Vladimir, as I recall. And that guy is now mayor of Kiev. Anyway, they've put out a video explaining why they're staying there to fight. I just... Do we have enough Americans that feel that way? I hope so. I don't know. I hear so much from the... The world would be better off without America crowd. I start to think that way too many of those people exist, probably. Well, they're a bunch of limp-wristed cowards anyway. Go from me. Make history forget you are my brethren. Enjoy your chains and licking the boots of your oppressors, to uh, quote, to misquote Sam Adams. So we like Jason Whitlock. We've liked him for a long time. Thinker, writer, dude. Apparently he wasn't very happy with Joe Biden's State of the Union address. Yeah, and while the State of the Union address is mostly just an overblown waste of time, it does indicate certain things about an administration. What's left in, what's left out, it's worth looking, it's worth picking the bones when it's done. And uh, Jason is a terrific bone picker. Uh, you know, I almost went off on a tangent, but for once in my life, I'm going to be slightly disciplined. Let's just start with clip number 61, Michael. After he got done addressing Ukraine and all that, then he pivoted to, well, let me get to some of President Trump's talking points and adopt them as my own. Now he wants to bring manufacturing jobs back. Now he wants to make it here in America. Now he wants to fund the police. Now he wants to secure the border. This the second part of that speech, and this all was a clever sleight of hand. Mm, that's a pretty good point right there. 
Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of truth to that. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, why not? 62. This guy's a globalist. He's worried about uh, global issues. That's why he left China out of this, because if he really wants to talk about the biggest threat to America and what's really influencing American culture and undermining American values and taking our country in the wrong direction, it's China. But he avoided that and, and wants to be seen as this great unifier of the globe. You can't be a great unifier of the rest of the world if you're not legitimately promoting unity here at home Boy. among Americans. I don't know how the speechwriters go about these uh, speeches, but I can't believe that they didn't do like some sort of word search thing or something and realize we haven't mentioned the country of China. By far the biggest threat to America's prosperity and safety over the next century. Yeah. Doesn't even yeah. come up in any tangential way. Okay. You know, it's funny. I was on an aeroplane recently as I was taking my uh, ill-timed and self-indulgent golf vacation <laughs> as World War III took off. Um, and, and because uh, the, the I never buy the Wi-Fi. I feel like I'm getting ripped off. But anyway, um, there's a, uh, a paper copy of the Wall Street Journal. Um, sitting in the seat next to me, so I grabbed that. Uh, dude was done with it, and I read a, a pro and con on subsidizing chip manufacturing in the United States. It was quite long and quite interesting, but the fact that the president didn't say anything about onshoring, you know, critical needs like masks and and medical tests and 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 chips and the rest of it. I mean, there's so little rallying us together. Honestly, every time I do buy the Wi-Fi on the plane, I end up like dumb texting people I can text anytime I want or watching crap. And I think, yeah, you brought this fantastic book to read. And now you're just doing your usual scrolling through wasting time. How is that worth eight dollars? Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. Uh, All right. One more on the similar theme of, um, you know, how can we compete against China if we're tearing ourselves apart? Sixty three. The Ukraine and what's going on there would have been a great jumping off point to explain to Americans why we legitimately need to uh, unify. If America is not a light unto the world, if we don't have our act together, the rest of the world is going to fall into chaos. We look weak. We look uh, disunified. And so, therefore, I think... Putin feels emboldened, and we're going to see China perhaps feel emboldened and and make a move on Taiwan. Joe Biden, that speech was infuriating. It was inauthentic. Well, while we're on the topic of the speech, because I didn't watch it, and uh, but I took in a lot of punditry afterwards, uh, some of my favorite pundits pointed out a couple of things. First of all, he went with the freedom always triumphs over tyranny line in which he got a standing ovation. Uh, okay, that's just historically wrong. That's just not true. Did he mount his unicorn and ride out of the chamber uh, on that line? The people of China have been living under tyranny since 49. Um, Soviet Union lasted, what, 70 years, and now you're living under Putin, which is no better. What Russia, is this? Vietnam, Venezuela. Yeah. I could bore you to death with the list. Freedom always triumphs over tyranny. Standing ovation. Okay. What a stupid friggin' thing to say. Flat bad character. I felt oogie about the way they were using Ukraine, Ukraine, and uh, I don't know if I'm just being too cynical. I actually don't know that, but this is what Jonah Goldberg said. I don't like the way he talked about Ukraine. Sure, he paid some moving tributes to Ukrainian courage, but man, how hard is that? There was a certain parasitic quality to the rhetoric. 
in which America leeches off the glory and bravery of people standing up to potential annihilation. Yeah, I would agree with that. Neither America nor the Biden administration are heroes in this story. We're merely recognizing who the heroes are while we cheer and help from the sidelines. Yeah, you know, and again, that might be, I might be putting that on that unfairly. They just, I, I know how phony politicians are. I know how they are. They try to grub on to anything they can get to with a little, the, a little of the light shining on them so that they can get a little of the star power from it. Right. That's just what it always feels like to me, that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I, I even hesitate. You know, we were talking earlier about, um, you know, what what we would do, what we'd hope we'd do, what you would do if uh, if we were invaded by a, a foreign power, which is incredibly unlikely. Thank God. I hesitate to even talk about that. Well, there's real courage, real life and death going on to puff out your chest and make announcements about what you would do. I, I don't know. I'm uncomfortable with that, and I got a, I just got that that feel that they wanted a picture taken, the Congress idiots, they wanted a picture taken with their arm around uh, the real fighters, the Mm -hmm. real, uh, you know, displayers of amazing courage. And then, of course, they'd run away as soon as the heat got turned up. I just got that feel from it. Well, to that point, and a real critique that a number of people have made, Joe Biden didn't even prepare America for any sacrifice, didn't say, here's what you can do to help the Ukrainians, or you're going to do to help the Ukrainians. The price of energy is about to go up a lot because of the sanctions, because of all the oil companies that are pulling out of Russia. That is part of the price we're paying to support freedom. He didn't say that. Boy, and, and that would be like covering his hiney, too. Right, because the price is going to go up. Yeah, and all he'll these oil, for it. All these oil companies pulling out of Russia, part of it might be because they care about doing the right thing, but a lot of it might be they can't, they can't collect their money anymore. The, all the sanctions and the shutting down the banking and all this different sort of stuff. You can't really do business in Russia anymore. So, of course, I mean, I was fooled by this. Of course, BP's pulling out of Russia and originally portrayed to me in the news as in willing to sacrifice $2.3 billion a quarter or whatever the hell it is. They have no way to make the money anymore, so they didn't have any choice but to take that sort of loss. Wow, I'm a dope. That hadn't really occurred to me. Anyway, well, that, that reminds me, I got to jump on eBay during the commercials and see if any of the oligarchs yachts are up for sale yet. All right. Yeah. Had some good yacht acquisition happening over uh, over the last 24 hours. You got this eight hundred billion million dollar yacht that one of the oligarchs, Russian oligarchs had seized in Germany. No, Putin's own yacht got seized in Germany. He had a super expensive yacht, which. Don't see him yachting. I don't see him out there on the hull with the hat saying, I'm the king of the world, or any of that sort of stuff. He's got a fishing pole in the water. He's just reeling slowly, talking to his wife. Oh, he's got a couple of buddies enjoying some Coors Light. <laughs> Lounging by the pool. Playing volleyball or something. <laughs> the pool on the yacht. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so we're seizing those yachts. That's cool. Hey, um, uh, i got to believe if I'm a Russian oligarch and Putin's got like a 275-foot yacht... I'm not buying a 280-foot yacht, you know? Well, what what does it tell you that Putin had his yacht parked in Germany with their relationship? He likes Germany. (laughs) Up until, like, a couple of days ago, though. All this time. All this talk. Well, you know, people got around to doing the right thing at the last minute. That's what democracies do, according to Winston Churchill. Hmm. He, uh, he said the uh, democracies in the United States, uh, uh, you know, will always get around to doing the right thing at the very end, but it takes them a long time. Well, after yeah. they've tried everything else, is There's that the some, full quote something or something like, like that? that? Yeah. yeah. Hey, says you, Winston, you're fat. 
Wow. A body shape slam on on the great savior of Europe. Winston Churchill, 5'9". Vladimir Putin, 5'9". Vladimir Zelensky, 5'9". You don't have to be tall to be a, a, a big-time leader in your country. Whether you're a good person or a bad person. That's just so interesting, I can't even tell you. You don't think that's interesting? Frankly? We haven't elected a president <laughs> under six foot. Remember, the tallest person almost always wins in the United States. I just gave you three impactful world leaders that are 5'9". Yes. We're yes. leaving and out a whole bunch of people because we have a bias against shorter people. I, yes, yes. I, I, I've already given up on humanity, but yes, that is another you know point against. It's me trying to salvage my height commentary and make it seem like it's relevant in any way. I may have to give up. The Klitschko brothers with some uh, brave, inspiring talk from Kiev and other stuff on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Quick update, a couple of things to tell you. A million people have fled Ukraine in uh, one week, which is pretty stunning. That's the uh, biggest, quickest refugee problem in the world this century. Well, and as things get uglier in the next two weeks, how many are there going to be then? The first major city has fallen in Ukraine. It's official now. The mayor of Kherson said Russian troops have captured the city. That's according to NBC News. The Russian convoy near Kiev is making little discernible progress. Talked about that earlier. It's got a lot to do with the tires all going, blowing out on their trucks, which if you didn't hear that, I explained that in hour one. Um, but yeah, they got a serious problem there. Um, wow, that just seems crazy. Yeah. Uh, Kharkiv continues to face heavy shelling. NBC News also reporting this. Uh, U.S. and the European officials warned that the darkest days of the invasion lie ahead, and I'm sure that's true. So we're going to see some really dark stuff. This is interesting, though. So Senator Tom Cotton, Republican, came out and said, we've got to ban Russian oil imports. I thought, okay, that's a right-wing thing. Nope. Nancy Pelosi asked about that just a few minutes ago. She said, I'm all for it. Ban it. Ban the oil coming from Russia. Wow. So there's bipartisan agreement at the highest level to ban oil coming out of Russia. But that gets back to the, how did Joe Biden not prepare the country for that? The third biggest oil producer in the world, we're going to ban them. The price of gas is going to go way up. It just is. Especially because we have abandoned so much of our domestic production. Yes, I know we're still an enormous producer. That's why he didn't mention it, because that would be the immediate conclusion that people would jump to. Well, we wouldn't have that problem if you hadn't cut back on how much we produce. Sure. Yeah, we certainly wouldn't have as big a problem. Interesting. Um, the Klitschko's, do we have that? Yeah, I don't know if you remember them. They, If you were into boxing, they were a big deal because they're, they're brothers and uh, both really good. And one of them won the heavyweight championship for a while. He's now the mayor of Kiev. And they, are, uh, they were both in the military and they are loyal to their country. And here they are. I'm sorry. Where should we go? This is our home. Um, our parents buried here. Um, children go to school here. Where else? I mean, why should we flee? This is our home. 
what should you do or what would you do would do if if someone gets into your house so you defend it that's a country with a long long history of defending themselves against invaders so that's in their blood yeah yeah ukraine ain't berkeley california although actually there are parts of berkeley that are quite tough but they're certainly not you know the rose petal soft indulgent university campuses of america these people uh, are familiar with the nitty and the gritty is that all we have for them? I didn't. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, so I found this interesting. I'm not trying to make some giant point. Um, well, maybe I am. I don't know. The hubris sometimes that we engage in as a country is, as good military analysts and commanders will tell you, Mike Lyons has said this many times, the chance of something going seriously sideways in any engagement is 100%. You just, you have to have... You have to be humble enough to understand, like, if you're going to do a household repair, figure out how long it's going to take and what it'll cost, then double it, and you're at half of what it's going to be. But anyway, it's true of uh, of foreign policy stuff, too. Matt Taibbi is writing about how some of the foreign policy establishment is now saying openly we need regime change in Russia. And then he says, and, and I'm not fully familiar with this. I must have missed some of the stuff he wrote. But for anyone expecting me to be outraged about this, I am, after all, almost daily denounced as a Putin lover and apologist. So surely I must want the great leader to stay in power forever. I have to disappoint. If Vladimir Putin were captured tomorrow and fired into space, I wouldn't bat an eye. I would like to point out that we've already tried regime change in Russia. I remember because I was there. And then thanks to a lot of lurid history that's being scrubbed now with furious intensity, it ended with Vladimir Putin in power, not as an accident or as the face of a populist revolt against Western influence. That came later, but precisely because we made a long series of intentional decisions to put him there. Once Putin's KGB passed, far from being seen as a negative, was viewed with relief by the American diplomatic community, which had been exhausted by the organizational incompetence of our vodka-soaked first partner, Boris Yeltsin. Putin, by contrast, was, and these are all quotes, a man we can do business with, a liberal, humane, and decent European. Wow. A man of alert, controlled poise, well-briefed acuity, who is open to anything, even Russia joining NATO. Quote, I don't see why not, Putin said. I would not rule out such a possibility. The New York Times, noting that the KGB of the 70s that Putin joined was no longer a murder factory, but really a thinking corporation. That's a quote. Whoa. Even compared him once to Russia's first true Western-looking leader, uh, Peter the Great. Um, I've been bitter. This is back to Taibbi. I've been bitter in commentary about Putin in recent years because I never forgot the way the West smoothed his rise and pretends now that it didn't. It's infuriating also that many of us who are critical of him from the start are denounced now as Putin apologists. I think in part because we have inconvenient memories about who said what at the start of his story. But the effort to wipe that history clean is reaching a fever pitch this week. Before they finish the job, it seems worth getting it all down. And then they go into how Putin was a fairly humiliated assistant to the mayor of St. Petersburg, who had been uh, accused, uh, Putin had, quite accurately with being corrupt as hell and, and getting huge government contracts for importing and exporting things, you know, the way it does in a, in a mobbed-up... Yeah, uh, read Man Without a Face. Country. I know I've pushed that book many times over the years, but it's the best thing I've ever read on Putin about his coming up in St. Petersburg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and and actually, this is a really interesting account. I think you have to be a subscriber, and I, I love Matt Taibbi's writing, even when I disagree with him. But the long story short, I think the point of all of this is 
and and a lot of people I disagree with on Ukraine are making this point too, but it's a decent point. Beware of the bulk of the American foreign policy establishment saying how clearly something is a good idea, whether it's the Iraq war or regime change in Libya. I mean, the, the entire Obama administration, Hillary Clinton was contemptuous, openly contemptuous of anybody who questioned the need to get rid of Muammar Gaddafi. And afterwards, he said, we came, we saw, he died. <laughs> and now Libya is a lawless hellhole controlled by not one amoral scumbag, but by quite a few of them, uh, you know, with horrible results. So just, you know, just just beware, be skeptical. Interesting. Yeah, those are some uh, pretty unfortunate quotes, given what Putin has done the last decade or so. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the way the the legacy media gets all swept up on a certain theme and gets all enthusiastic about it, and so much of it's emotionalism. It's not really the cold, hard logic that you need. I'm fired up by the Ukrainian thing and their courage and their toughness and all, but we've got to be clear-eyed and you know fairly hard-hearted about our national interests. I happen to think the risks of letting uh, modern totalitarian conquistadors do whatever they want, I think though that's an enormous risk, too. But uh, be careful of the establishment. They're wrong all the time. Zelensky says he needs to talk to Putin to end the war. I don't know if that's going to happen at any point. If you miss an hour of the show, you can grab the podcast, armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.